You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyberlaw Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the Webmaster Radio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay, maybe not ordered, but why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the webmasterradio.fm mobile app in the iTunes store or in the Google Play store. It's an open and shut case. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impact business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning and welcome um, to the first show of the third season of Cyberlawn Business Report. And we are now in session. Please be seated. This is Bennett Kelly um, talking to you live from the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. And um, we hope you had a wonderful holiday season. And um, we hope look, look, this will be a great new, new new year for all of you. 39 years ago today, we became a nation of lawbreakers because that is when President Nixon signed the law setting the maximum speed limit at 55 uh, miles per hour. Although I'm sure some of you are, may not fit in that category, that would not be me. Um, today is also the seventh anniversary of the tragic Sago mine disaster that killed 12 miners in West Virginia. Um, birthdays today include Tia Carrera, Christy Turlington, Paz Vega, Kate Bosworth, Oscar winner Cuba Gooding, Show Me the Money Jr., and the only senator I almost accidentally killed, um, the late Barry Goldwater. So today we're going to give you a preview of the upcoming New Media Expo, uh, also known as Blog World, which is opening in Las Vegas next Sunday through Tuesday. Um, I will be presenting on legal issues affecting bloggers, as will our first guest, Gordon Firemark. And uh, we're going to preview the upcoming show and discuss some of the latest developments in blog law. In the second segment, we'll give you a preview of the upcoming year ahead and what to expect for 
in terms of legal developments on the internet. So first, let's introduce the entertainment and media law, helping clients in entertainment, new media, internet, and technology industries achieve their dreams by offering a comprehensive package of legal, business affairs, and consulting services. And he is the producer and host of Entertainment Law Update, a podcast for artists and professionals in the entertainment industries, and is author of the podcast, blog, and new media producer's legal survivor guide. And um, Gordon also teaches at teaches at Theta Law at Southwestern Law School and Business Law at Loyola Marymount University and presents to groups all over the country, and including um, those of us at Blog World. Um, so, Gordon, welcome to the show. It's good to have you. Hi, Bennett. Welcome. Thank you. And uh, you almost make me believe my own PR. <laughs> That's the objective. <laughs> um, so, Gordon, and you're, um, you're, you're calling in from? Uh, I live in the Santa Clarita Valley, just north of L.A., where I uh, have my office. And so um, we have a Southern California-based um, show for, for the okay. first segment. And although we are this, um, we're based in um, Webmaster Radio is based in Fort Lauderdale. And um, and happy New Year, by the way, to our producer Brent Brasco. Um, so Gordon, it's great to have you on. Um, now you have an interesting background. Um, you actually started off. I mean, you're in you're in entertainment law, but you started off in entertainment. Yeah, I uh, actually, it's sort of an interesting story. As a kid, I was sort of hanging with the wrong crowd. I was in junior high, and uh, the principal of the school spotted me and said, I'm going to divert this kid. And he got me involved in doing the lights and sound for the school variety shows and things like that. So I started doing that, and uh, I must have been 12, 13 years old, and did that all the way up through high school, began working professionally in theater, and, uh, and then went off and went to college and majored in uh, radio, television, and film. And then law school was sort of an afterthought that came up when the Writers Guild went on strike in the uh, in the uh, late eighties. And um, and so I, it must come as a surprise when you see your clients when they actually find that the, the lawyer they're talking to actually is is a, a brethren, so to speak. <laughs> I, you know, I think it makes me good at what I do. I'm able to understand their business from you know more than just the legal angles and and uh, sort of. You know, I, I know what it is they do every day. <laughs> so you're going to be speaking at Blog World on um, what is it? The, the ten cases every blogger or podcaster needs to know. Yeah, it, just a sort of survey of the of the legal issues that come up through a look at some of the more recent cases in uh, podcasting. I'm in the podcasting track, so that's sort of the focus. But podcasting, blogging, new media production, generally. When is your talk? I'm speaking. I'm actually speaking on another panel about social media as well. But uh, and they're both on the eighth. I guess that's Wednesday. That's no, Tuesday. Tuesday. Tuesday the eighth. Um, actually, speaking that afternoon as well. Uh, well I think we're uh, speaking at the same time. I'm at three something in the afternoon on Tuesday. So. OD on um, legal issues. <laughs> they, they loaded all the lawyers on the last day. I think because uh, you know if you're going to bore them, bore them on the last day, not the first day, right? <laughs> <laughs> and also by then maybe. That they, they, um, they'll have plenty of alcohol for the that. party, and that maybe will induce people to want to listen to us. Mm-hmm. But um, so, um, what we were talking earlier um, offline about um, you know, what might be interesting uh, to people who are you know, bloggers who are then thinking about what is their potential legal exposure. And, and as lawyers, I, I'm sure you get the same question: <clears throat> that famous, "Can I be sued?" 
you know, I ask, I have various, you know, um, very um, smart ass versions of response, but um, to, you know, can you breathe? Um, <laughs> is the sky blue? But um, I guess in the blog world, uh, that, that might be, the answer to that might be surprising. Yeah. Um, I- you know, yeah, my, my sort of pat answer also is, you know, anyone can sue anyone anytime for any reason. It's a question of can they win if they sue. But the problem is, of course, that, you know, if you get sued and you have to defend yourself, that can be a five or six figure uh, little adventure that you end up going on for the next year or two. So, uh, you know, the idea is don't, don't give them any, any good reasons to sue you. And, um, yeah, for for folks in this in this arena, it it hasn't been a huge issue for bloggers and podcasters up until the last year or two. But in the last year or two, we've really seen a growth in the number of lawsuits and and um, threats and things uh, over content, over the branding of of shows and blogs and things like that. And and yeah, it's 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 become a real a real threat. I think the that's as you said in our conversation earlier, that's evidence that this me- these media are coming into their own. I, I think so. I think you know, people are paying attention to it. In fact, uh, I, I worked you know, with Brasco. We did a, a, a show um, prior to this called Inbox. Mm-hmm. And our debut show um, elicited a six-page <laughs> letter um, from the, the the person who we were talking about, mm-hmm. um, you know, full of objections to uh, what what they claimed we, we said, but um, yeah, people do pay you know pay attention, and um, and I think in, blogs are becoming more influential, and and, yeah. and there's actually money consequences to what a blog mm-hmm. can say now. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about the way you you operate now. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I haven't picked up a Yellow Pages in, in a good long time. If I want to find out how to contact a business, I go online and I search for the business's name. And you know, hopefully the business is the first one that pops up in, in the Google search or, or whatever search engine I'm using. But often as not, there's a Yelp review right next to it. And, and um, who knows you know, what other kind of blogs people are talking about that business on. And um, yeah, that, that's where the, the trouble starts sometimes. You know, I was uh, contacted by a reporter and about the, you know, Yelp lawsuits and um, mm-hmm. explained how Yelp basically had liability for the reviews there. And so he said, so people won't, so those lawsuits are going to go away. And I said, oh, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I said, it doesn't mean people will still, still won't make mistakes and still won't pursue frivolous litigation. But, um, you know, but as long as they, they they feel a need to be vindicated, they're going to go after Yelp for, you know, but they're going to lose. Yeah, until Yelp wins a few of those really big ones that everybody starts to hear about, um, you know, then there are still going to be lawyers out there willing to take those cases or uh, plaintiffs to take it to small claims court. Now, um, if I'm a blogger. And let's say uh, we have a, one of our, our favorite guests um, is in um, York, Maine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Happy New Year to you, Jane Hitchcock, if you're listening. But um, so that's, that's you know, one of the extreme parts of the United States in terms of you know, distance from the rest of the country. And um, it's, although it's very pretty. Um, and I'm just posting a blog on whatever, um, weather or politics. And I bet you a lot of people who do blog in areas like that or anywhere mm-hmm. surprised to find that they could end up in court in Texas or um, some other place in the country, if not possibly even in Canada. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, you know, this is the the first year law school stuff about um, the subject of jurisdiction, and um, in you know, it, it raises some interesting issues in cyberspace because we don't necessarily have a real presence in in another state, even though we can be seen and heard and read in those other states. The truth is, it's not that different from if you publish a newspaper, except that with a newspaper, you're shipping copies to that other state. Here, it's on the internet. It's, you know, people can access it, whether you like it or not, from those other places. So the, the questions that come up are, you know, which state, where, you know, what does it take for uh, a person to be um, amenable to or subject to a, law, a lawsuit in another state. And, uh, you know, the, those of us in the audience that are lawyers will remember the case of International Shoe Company versus Washington. This one was a, was a Missouri company, the shoe company, wanted to, um, um, well, it had, had some sales operatives in, in the state of Washington, but didn't maintain a place of business there. Their salesmen were commissioned people who happened to be residents of, of Washington. They, you know, went around and did their, their uh, sales process, but International Shoe, the company itself, didn't maintain a location or a physical presence in the state. Washington wanted to tax them, and when the when the state sued them in Washington State Court for back taxes, the company said, "Wait a minute, you you know you don't have any any uh, any ability to serve us. We don't have a physical presence there." There's no due process in this, and the case went to the United States Supreme Court, which decided basically that look, if if a, um, it, it, well, that due process requires that in in order to subject a defendant to a judgment uh, for in person jurisdiction, um, you don't have to be present as long as you have certain minimum contacts with that state so that the idea of the lawsuit doesn't offend what they say traditional notions of fair play and substantial justice. And then you have cases following that that said, you know, that means that the company must have sort of purposefully availed itself of the company, of the state's um, services or, or, um, uh, you know, or, or just made itself present in such a way. In the internet space, what we're seeing is the question of is a blog um, enough contact even if that blog is talking about somebody in that other state is that enough contact with that state and the courts seem to be saying no not just by itself the speech itself isn't going to be enough to to get you into court there but if you're advertising or selling products in that state or soliciting response from that state those kinds of things do tend to lean toward the court exercising jurisdiction but let's say you know, let's say I'm, I'm in New York, Maine, and mm-hmm. I I write something about the Dallas Cowboys. They they say they suck, yeah. um, or you know they're they're not America's team. They're the devil's team. You know something obnoxious. <laughs> yeah. And um, does that would that push me closer to maybe being subject to jurisdiction in Texas? I don't think in and of itself you're going to be subject to, to Texas jurisdiction, especially because we've got the First Amendment. There's free speech stuff going mm-hmm. on in, in that scenario. But but I, no, I think that, if, again, if you had ads on the website and the advertising, you were targeting Texas customers, that would point you in that direction. If you Maybe if you had teased the show saying, hey, we're going to be talking all about the, the Dallas Cowboys this week and, you know, and um, we have, I don't know, some – you know, Dallas-based business as our sponsor this week, maybe that starts to get you there because you're you're definitely sort of doing business with Texas for those purposes. But again, it's it's a it's a high hurdle to jump over um, 
And then let's assume they, they reached the hurdle, although yep. they, they, they did it on Sunday when they lost to the Redskins and didn't mm-hmm. make the playoffs. But um, let's, just, let's assume that's the case. Okay. And, um, this, then there's still the question of what, what's the proper venue. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's this notion of, of the inconvenient forum for, uh, for cases that are brought you know, at a distance from where the defendant is located. Um, generally, though, if a, if a state exercises jurisdiction over the, over the, uh, the parties, that inconvenient forum thing is only going to take you so far as, the, as other forums within that state, you know, other venues. So the idea behind that is, um, you know, you, 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 you can't get a fair trial in Dallas County, so they move you out to, you know, Midland or something like that where you have the trial. And that's more involved in, in um, the criminal end of things and, and um, you know, civil suits where the, the parties are sort of notorious. Um, in, in the federal arena, if there's enough at stake, it's possible for a defendant to drag the case into the federal courts out of the state courts under what's called diversity jurisdiction and then, and then perhaps make a motion that the, even though the jurisdiction is proper, the venue isn't. But um, I haven't seen a lot of those arguments happening yet. Not yet, but we're going to be back talking more with Gordon about blog law issues after these messages from our sponsors. You're listening to Cyberlaw and Business Report on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Rise links and web indexes. Take a bow to the largest link map in the world. Majestic SEO. Majestic SEO wields its virtual sort with speed and accuracy to deliver detailed reports of your company's link data and that of your competition. Let Majestic SEO make you your own king of Internet marketers and join the crusade of clients and agencies that have chosen the noble choice for link intelligence. MajesticSEO.com Maximize ROI to use your time and let Majestic wield its mighty sword. MajesticSEO.com It's good to be king. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrands with a Z for eBrands. WebmasterRadio.fm. Get addicted. 
get ahead. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly in Cyber Law and Business Report. And often when you're in court, you get admonished to turn off your cell phone and pagers. But um, since this is radio, we don't have to worry about that. But um, actually, we encourage you to have them on because we'd love for you to download our mobile app. And so you can take us anywhere you go. So um, check out the Webmaster Radio mobile app, and you can listen to Cyber Law and Business Report anywhere you go. Um, in fact, you can take me to lunch and um, – will be on you, of course. But in any event, um, we're back with Gordon, and we're talking about blog legal issues. And um, there's an interesting case that just came down, was just filed, Mm -hmm. um, involving Village Voice. Uh, Do you want to tell us about it, Gordon? Well, yeah. You know, um, the case is Village Voice Media versus Yelp. And the situation is this. Village Voice apparently has managed to register trademarks for the phrase best of in connection with several cities, San Francisco, Miami, St. Louis, Phoenix, and so on. And it now is claiming that, that Yelp has been creating best of lists and, and pages on its site that infringe on those trademarks and deceive consumers. And uh, the case was filed in late October, so it's just getting started basically but uh, registered trademarks is a is a pretty tough place to have to start from if you're on the end of this yes um and what's yelp's response i you know i didn't i didn't get a chance to look into that yet i'm still still preparing my presentation for nmx <laughs> but uh i was just googling it while we were uh in the break, and I'm not seeing a lot of discussion about the response. Um, I imagine that they will have tried to. It's a federal claim, so there's no slap, anti-slap law to to worry about. But um, you know, I imagine they'll, they'll make the motions to dismiss um, the usual 12b6 and so on motions, and uh, and we'll see what happens there. But I suspect they're going to end up having to defend the case and, and perhaps challenge the validity of those trademark registrations in the first place. Right, as being, I guess, descriptive or something. Um, it does seem or odd. generic, that, yeah. Yeah, that you can have best of mm-hmm. um, and, and not be specific, specific to something. Yeah, I mean, you and, know, one of the things about trademark law is, is you have to have had um, – you have to when you when you file for a registration, you're claiming that you've been the exclusive user and that your use and registration of the mark doesn't infringe anybody else's rights. Right. And the fact is, best of lists long predate. Yes, they <laughs> Village do. Voice Media. So. And you know, and then and the whole descriptive thing. I always tell people it'd be like registering cold beer, mm-hmm. and you can never do that. Yeah. And um, so I, I think that that's going to be an interesting case, and they're actually might be risking uh, you know, the validity of their um, trademarks in, in that process. Yeah. Um, but what are, what are some of the other trends you see coming down um, this, as, as uh, um, more attention is focused on blogs? Well, you know, um, I, I think defamation is the big elephant in the room uh, for bloggers and podcasters and folks that are you know, going on and, and talking about other folks and businesses and so on. And they need to be careful, of course, about you know, being truthful um, or, or having the backup for what they say uh, or being very clear that what they're saying is, is protected as opinion or something like that. Uh, the big cases in the last couple of years have been uh, around um, – uh, one Oregon blogger who uh, 
was, uh, I, I think her, her approach, and I'm not going to name names, but um, you know, her approach to uh, blogging about people was to really trash them. And she'd also go out and register, you know, domain names um, that lined up with the person's name or the business's name and so on. And, and really sort of flooding the web and flooding the search engines with all of this other information about these folks and, and doing them some, some real harm. Um, all but one of her blog posts were held to be protected as opinion, mostly because of the way they were written. And, and they were sort of, you know, allegations that this, it was a securities trading firm, uh, that this company was a fraud and, and I'll have more information and proof later, you know, those kinds of statements. So, uh, the court said that's opinion and it's not actionable as defamation, but there was one that seemed to have a little more detail and, um, an interesting component of this is that when she defended on that one, she said, wait a minute, I don't have to reveal my sources. I'm a journalist. And uh, the court said, no, you're really not. <laughs> you're, you're not acting like a journalist. You're not doing things in a journalistic way. You're not presenting a fair and balanced report. And Although we can argue about journalism in its <laughs> that's, that's state a nowadays. Statement, yes. uh, and I have to be careful about fair and balanced maybe being a trademark. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, uh, yeah, you know, so she was not held to be a journalist in that in that situation. Uh, but there are other cases that say that bloggers are journalists, and I think what it really comes down to is: Are you behaving like a journalist? Right, following journalistic ethics and guidelines, and being balanced in, in your presentation and those kinds of things. And so, if you're if you're out there blogging or podcasting or whatever, um, you know, taking pains to do it in a um, fact-oriented, truthful, and, and um, unbiased approach is, is probably the best way to preserve your protection as a journalist. And that protection is against the disclosure of sources and, and that kind of thing. So, it, it uh, does seem that – but also it's, it seems that in, in the cases that dealing with um, whether bloggers are journalists mm-hmm. or not, they, it also depends really on, on the, the view of um, blogs of the judge. Yes, and, and and if he has a somewhat of a dismissive view, and then um, they're, they're not likely to be considered journalists. And um, you know, sometimes it was a New Jersey case that I forget the details of it, but um, more or less, you know, because you don't do this, this, and this like a, a an offline reporter, mm-hmm. then you're not really a, you know a journalist. And, and in fact, that case involved the definition of journalism in the statute, which sort of didn't include enough of what blogging is. At the time, you know, it's an old law, and the, right. the, nobody contemplated every citizen being able to post things on the web like that. So, in, in terms of counseling clients on um, dealing with new media issues, what is the one thing that surprises them the most that that comes up, and they're like, "Oh wow, I hadn't thought about that." You know, what surprises bloggers and folks the most? Uh, you know, I think that the the, it's not so much a surprise as just a that they're confounded by the idea of fair use and and whether or not they're you know taking a ten second clip from a famous song or something like that right. is in fact fair use or not and and what what I hear over and over and over again is I heard I can take ten up to thirty seconds or I can take you know, right. twelve bars or something or so like many that. words or yes. And, and that just isn't the case. And um, but it's out there. There's this whole there, sense exactly. that there's a mathematical formula for fair use. And, and and the truth of it is, it's a very complex four-factor balancing test analysis that looks at market forces and and the impact on the the 
a market for the original and the nature of the original and, and you get into these sort of nuances about again is it journalism is it educational is it public interest or is it more commercial in its tone and courts are all over the place on this judges and juries are all over the place and so it's really something that has to be determined in each individual instance and as i uh, have said you know to clients over and over again is do you really want to spend the next couple of years of your life and maybe fifty or hundred thousand dollars arguing about whether or not your use of that ten seconds of a song was fair use or are you better off just going and paying a few bucks for a, a license either from that song or for uh, some royalty free music now um it, it's interesting we'll be talking next week at blog world in las vegas and that that's a hot issue and that comes up all the time yeah. and you know and so it's somewhat, I think, an unsatisfying, I think, for the listener to hear yeah. you know, the classic lawyer response. Well, it depends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I remember President Truman um, complaining that about the, you know, I'm dying to meet a, a one-handed economist. You know, because <laughs> it, it was always, you know, well, on the one hand, it could be right. this, but on the other. And, um, and so I guess it, it really what we need to do is just create greater awareness that it isn't. Um, yeah. A clear formula, and that there are factors. Make sure they understand what the factors are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I could do a whole hour-long presentation. Probably could talk for six hours on what's fair use and review cases and things like that. It's it's a tremendously complex area that uh, those of us that practice in the field, you know, we're looking at it every day. And we actually had someone on from American University. They have a center for social media, yeah. and they actually have guides on fair use. Uh-huh that uh, I think are, are helpful. And they also have a guide on, on using video. Mm-hmm. And so you know, they're trying to provide some helpful information. And um, I think there's some best practices available as well. Yeah. And so um, you know, there are resources out there. I mean, clearly, you, know, you, you, you should talk to a lawyer if, it's, if you're really making a, a, t- a tough call. But um, you know, there's also resources out there that you can educate yourself. Yeah, and definitely you want to get out there and, and research, and but also take you know what you find on the web, take it with a grain of salt, and, and know your source. Uh, there are some reputable ones, and there are some not so reputable sources for this kind of information. And uh, um, you know, don't believe everything you read. I guess is the answer there. Now, um, so you're going to be speaking at Blog World on Wednesday. You get there on Sunday, right? I'm arriving on Saturday. Actually, I'm I'm uh, driving out and uh, giving myself a little breathing room on things and um so if people want to find out more about you and your practice where should they go well the website is firemark.com that's f-i-r-e-m-a-r-k.com i also have that podcast that you you mentioned entertainmentlawupdate.com and um you can reach me or find me on twitter uh, at g fire actually most social media g firemark is my handle twitter linkedin uh, facebook and so on and um in terms of your podcast, how often is it here? The show is done once a month. We do a roundup of the news stories of, of interest to the entertainment industry uh, with some commentary and, and uh, hopefully some humor from time to time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we talk for about an hour and we go over, uh, you know, eight or nine of the more recent cases that have come up in the field of entertainment. And are, are you teaching this, this semester as well? Uh, I have the winter semester off. I teach in the summer and the fall. And uh, at different places, and um, yeah, I'm sort of looking forward to getting some work done. <laughs> and oh, yeah, that, that there is that that livelihood <laughs> thing. And um, what and what's the next thing for you after Blog World, um, um, or excuse me, New Media Expo? Well, I, I'm going to be uh, 
putting on a uh, a program called uh, Film Finance Boot Camp. Filmfinanceboutcamp.com. Um, and uh, it's basically going to help filmmakers and, and folks in the independent film area understand how to get themselves ready to ask investors for their money. <laughs> now, I mean, we've actually had someone on this show, a couple of people on this show, um, getting financing um, for different projects yep. through Kickstarter. But one of them was film. And how, how prevalent or how useful has Kickstarter been in that space? You know, I think Kickstarter and the other one that, that's prevalent in the, in, the, in the film area is Indiegogo. I think yes. two of them are both pretty good at raising relatively small amounts of money. If you're doing a ten or $20,000 short film, Kickstarter and, and Indiegogo are great. You can probably raise the money to do that. If you're looking for you know, a quarter of a million dollars or more, uh, which is, you know, not unusual now for a, a, a for a feature length film of any size. Um, you, you, it's hard to raise that kind of money using these these uh, social what do they call them? Um, uh, uh, crowdsourcing, crowdfunding right. sites. That may be changing because we we have late last I'm sorry early last year we we had the president sign the Jobs Bill the Jobs yes. Act and uh, that provides for some changes in the way um, securities law works uh, that will allow for crowdfunding of securities placements and so up to a million dollars you could theoretically use something like a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo to uh, to raise your money where you do actually have a a quid pro quo. Uh, the uh, investors are investing, not just donating into your project. So uh, that's an exciting uh, opportunity that's coming this way. And the regs well, are due out, I think, this yeah. month. Yeah, well, they were supposed to be out last month. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, the government was a little busy with some fiscal cliff things. I think, yeah, and, maybe and other, a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, let's hope they do something in the next couple of months so that the next time we have to talk about the fiscal cliff, <laughs> we're not held up by it again. Um, and uh, another component of the, of the new regulations is going to allow for more public offering, um, public solicitation of offers for investment. And so we'll see more people building websites designed to attract investors to uh, particular projects. It's exciting. It's definitely going to be interesting, and um, I, I believe there was one major producer who who said that they were looking at Kickstarter. But I forget the name. I don't. But it was someone who's done like large pictures. Yeah. Just but there, there was a veteran. Um, maybe it was a director who just says it's harder for the older directors to get money these days. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't know which one you're referring to, but I'll have to go look into that. That's a, that's an interesting. Um Approach. I do think the, the the size of the budget is is really a limiting factor. Even even after the new regs go into effect, it's going to be up to a million dollars. Right. So you're talking about the very low budget movies. Um, the good but, news I mean, is there's a lot mind, of that happening. There was a, a watch that you know I, I tell people and you know, they tried to raise five hundred thousand yeah. dollars and they were unsuccessful and said they raised eleven million and, and yeah. uh, you know and so. That and that is based on a, a pre-crowdfund act um, yeah. regime where there's no equity. It's all perks. Yeah. Well, the problem is with the crowdfund act in place, they would not be able to go above a million dollars. They'd be stuck. Oh, no. But that would, they, yeah. they could still raise the $10 million, but they only give a million in equity. Oh, right. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I think um, – I think that, I forget the name of the watch, but the Pebble watch. I, oh, yeah. I think the Pebble actually 
um, makes people question whether they need the Crowdfund Act. Because if I can raise $10 million without deluding myself, um, as opposed to deluding myself to thinking I can raise that much, um, why not do that? There have been an an interesting – well, there haven't been a lot of – cases or discussion about the issues that come up with that. I mean, is that money that they raised because is it income? Is it taxable or, you know, or is it really gift money um, to, to the recipient of the money? And certainly from the, the uh, donor's point of view, it's, it's a tax deductible donation of some sort. Well, actually, no, it wouldn't. most of these times they're not because they're yeah, getting a watch when they, when they, exactly. this is um, consideration for, um, yeah, whatever the perk they're getting, they're paying. I'm paying. We had That's someone right, yeah. on. She had a, a a film, and the idea was, you know, you, hypochondriacs go to the doctor all the time and say, "Hey, yeah, this is ailing me," you know. And doctors say, "Listen, it's you know, it's in your head. Don't worry. There's nothing wrong <laughs> with you." But the times are tough. What if the doctor said, "The hell with it. I'll treat you." Yeah. And, and so it was called the treatment, and this, the whole concept that the treatment can be worse than the disease. Yeah. And and if you gave a certain amount of money. <laughs> You could have a disease named after you, <laughs> and we actually started. You know, we we started the segment by saying you know, this will be the first film to deal with Kelly Brasco syndrome. <laughs> but um, and so I mean, yes, I mean, so uh, we would if I paid the amount, if that got funded, I would I would have paid so much to have the disease, you know, rep with my name on it in the movie. And so that would be that wouldn't be tax deductible. No, I guess not. Oh, you're right. It's consideration for something—a marketing plug of, of advertising or add a copy of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. And, and your you name and credits. Right? Get a copy of the movie, and and then people associate you with disease, which is always a nice thing. Right. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of a lot of diseases are named after the doctors that first described them too. So, uh. <laughs> I, I just think socially being you know being associated with disease. I kind of remember the yeah. Friends episode where Joey. Was modeling a, an STD ad, <laughs> <laughs> right? And he you know, he meets a girl on the subway, and there, there's him in mm-hmm. the ad. And um, <laughs> yeah, you know that's another interesting area that we're gonna. I think we're gonna see more of in the in the internet space is the the outing of people. Yes, um, you know, uh, we had this case with Amazon, um, which owns IMDb, mm-hmm. and this actress suing because they disclosed her true age. Yes. And uh, she feels that that's going to hurt her ability to get jobs because she looks younger than she is. I think we're going to see more of that kind of stuff. And, you know, I mean, outing of, of people's sexual preferences um, was a big deal, what, 20 years, 20, 30 years ago. And uh, uh, but, but I think now we're going to see more of that happening because it's so easy to out somebody on the Internet. Well, and, also- t- and telling the truth about people isn't defamation. It's something else. It's right. Points. And there was that blog about um- – it was a, a woman's a woman in Atlanta um, put up a blog about you know, men you shouldn't date. It was something like oh, don't yeah. don't go there, girl, or something like that. I forget mm-hmm. the name of it. Well, and that one's interesting because you know the the information up that's being put up there is by not just this blogger but by her her users. Yes, and um, you know she doesn't yeah. have control over whether they're being truthful and journalistic in their approach. So, uh, but then she would have immunity, but the individual people would have it. Exactly, exactly. But so, the, so that could be defamation. But if they're telling the truth about someone, um, you know, is that an invasion of that someone's privacy? Uh, somehow public disclosure of some private facts or, or uh, uh, an intrusion into their 
so-called solitude or something like that. And the cases are sort of all over the map right now on, on privacy and, and it's state law. So each state's going to be a little different too. I mean, that is a troubling thing. I mean, um, the very first case I had in, in cyber harassment involved a woman who, um, they, they post, I mean, it was all, none of it was true, mm. but it, it posted on this website, dating psychos. Oh. And which, by the way, is not a place to meet your date. <laughs> um, for those of you who started writing that down, but um, it, but the the issue was that um, it said all these awful things, including that she had an STD. Uh, and so, you know, is that is as you said, is that a disclosure of private fact that that um, is actionable? I had a case early in my career that involved, and this is you know early in the days of the internet, but it, it was an early cyber, you know, sort of a cyber stalking case as well. But uh, this uh, adult film actress uh, came to me because uh, someone had published her home address on the web, an address that she had gone to fairly great pains to to keep a secret, and uh, somebody had tracked her down and and uh, published her address, and sure enough, she had visitors. The this stalker ended up showing up at her door, and that was how they ended up putting an end to that but you know is it again it's a private fact it's a privacy thing and this was before that uh, rebecca schaefer situation where california made it harder to get access to that address information about people and that, and that was tragic and they actually changed, that was what led to the first um stalking law yep was was that incident mm-hmm. so um i know we're, we're taking taking only a few more minutes of your time okay. anything else you want to highlight um before we 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 break uh, no, I, you know, I think, I mean, we're going to see more DMC takedowns and probably some more um, uh, counter notices and, and maybe some lawsuits over that. You know, there was that case with the um, woman who had posted a video of her kid dancing and the yes. owners of the music. Uh, Universal went after her and, and the court said, well, you know, you have to check and make sure it's fair use before you issue the takedown notice. And uh, that case is, I think it just finally settled out of, you know, a few a month or so ago, um, I think we're going to see more of that kind of thing as as uh, sites and posts are taken down improperly. Uh, there was the Debold case was another one that that had a wrongful takedown and some serious financial damages. I think in that one, and then um, the other areas, you know, the bloggers and folks need to know about the FTC rules on endorsements and and um, um, advertising. All right. Well, I want to thank you again, Gordon. It was great having you. I look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas at New Media Expo, Blog World. Um, Next week, we're both on Tuesday. We will be um, presenting to a rapt audience on blog legal issues. (laughs) And um, we're going to take a break. But, Gordon, thank you. I look forward to seeing you in Vegas. Thank you. My pleasure. We'll be back after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. 
Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brad Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs sends you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Podcasting at the speed of sound. WebmasterRadio.fm, the flamethrower. WebmasterRadio.fm, we're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back for our second segment here in Cyber Law Business Report. I um, want to thank you again for joining us for the very first show of our third season. It's hard to believe that it was two years ago and we um, launched our first show with Chris Olson um, from the FTC. And um, so it's um, been a fun journey. I'm glad you're, you're here with us for this segment. Um, I want to give you some updates on what's going on in the internet legal world. Uh, but we're going to first start talking about um, the publication BNA has um, put out a list of what it perceives as to be the, um, some of the new um, or emerging uh, issues that we can expect to see happen this year um, in 2013. And so um, these may affect you. So I wanted to bring them to your attention. Um, one thing that's going to happen, and we, we covered this a little bit in 2012, is the ongoing ICANN um, generic top-level domain process. Now, if you recall, there were um, over a 1,000 applications for global top-level domains, and there were a number of them um, being disputed um, as under the, the procedures that are in place. And then at the end of the year, ICANN actually had a drawing for the um, – the the um, domains that would get priority for for clearance and likely would be cleared in 2013, and um, interestingly enough, not very, I think only one or none of the top 100 included any English um, language um, GTLDs. Instead, it was mostly um, Chinese and other characters. So, and the the top draw was um, uh, the Chinese character for the Catholic Church. So, um, but that is going to proceed, and so you're going to start seeing uh, possible trademark issues emerge as um, brands try to protect themselves from the new approved um, GTLDs as people start registering under them. You know, particularly if um, 
once we start getting into some of the domains that have been filed, such as .sucks, .gripe, um, you know, there's potential, obviously, for a big concern for brand holders. And we're going to see a continuation of the over who has the right to control the internet. Uh, as you recall, we ended uh, the this, this year with a discussion of the um, conference in Dubai with the ITU and uh, the efforts to uh, actually exert authority over the internet. And um, that's going to be a continuing battle. Uh, I think you, know, you have Russia and China and some of the Middle Eastern states who want to be able to exert more control, and uh, um, particularly in and the U.S. is trying to um, maintain their control through ICANN. And so it's, um, it's going to be an ongoing tension. And I think it, it's sad that one of the lessons of Arab Spring um, was that uh, the Internet is something to be feared and controlled, and that seems to be the approach of Russia and uh, China and other countries. And um, so that's why that, that seems to be one of the motivating factors. Uh, a third issue is going to be a continued battle over copyright issues and um, the ability to, to what extent that limits people's ability to innovate um, and as well as royalty issues. And we're going to see, uh, for example, Pandora is complaining that internet radio pays a higher copyright than um, you know, traditional terrestrial radio. And that it, it's an improper standard um, you know, to apply to them, and that it's more or less taking most of their revenue. So um, you're going to see that, and then you're going to see continued efforts to try to address copyright issues. And in 2013, we will have the um, graduated response will, will go into effect as ISPs begin to work with um, copyright holders to try to flag um, copyright abuses. And um, so that's going to be proceeding this year and it'll be ongoing. I mean, you also see attempts at legislation. Um, I, I, you know, we're going to have a similar battle as we did last year over efforts like SOPA and PIPA. Um, and at the same time, you have the, um, the Pacific, um, the Trans-Pacific um, Trade Agreement that's being negotiated that many fear will be another ACTA, which, you know, which drew widespread um, and global opposition over um, some of its intellectual property provisions. So that's um, going to be kind of a, an ongoing battle from that continues from last year. Now, one thing that we saw last year that was really interesting was the, uh, the states exerting themselves on privacy, and particularly in the mobile field, as we saw in California, and uh, had a, with a lawsuit being filed against Delta Airlines for failing to include a privacy statement in its um, with its mobile app. And uh, I, I think we're going to um, see more states trying to regulate in that area, and the FTC is going to be coming down. Uh, I think in this area. Um, they just had their workshop on privacy practices um, with respect to big data, and they've already sent information requests to a number of big data companies. And I think um, we're going to see more pushes by the FTC in this area and a more push for do not track. And so privacy is going to be a big issue this year. Um, finally, and as well as enforcement actions, 
Um, one issue that's going to come up is really um, social media. We, we've seen laws passed last year, Ren Trending, for example, in California, that tried to restrict an employer's ability to um, require the employer to give access to their social media accounts. And um, this is going to be more tensions or maybe possibility of regulation in this area, particularly when you have workplaces that have, um, you know, bring your own device. And so, um, what what rights does an uh, employer have? Because there have been cases where employers have tried to you know, wipe out and clean and clean someone else's computer, and in the process, you know, remove their wedding photos, etc. Um, and so, we, what rights does each party have? And it is something that you, you know, people working in the space need to be aware of. You know, one, you should have a social media policy, but two, if you sent that you allow people to use their own device, you know, what is the policies you have? I mean, what rights do you want to have? Um, secondly, related to that, um, you know, who what, who owns the accounts is an ongoing issue. So you need to make, you know, to what extent is an employer or uh, employee using his own account and it happened to be doing work on behalf of the employer, or doesn't, or do you need to give the employee an assigned account so that you retain rights to that account after the employee leaves? And so that's going to be something that continues to get um, fleshed out through litigation, if not regulation. Um, and this, on an international note, you know, Canada at the end of 2010 passed a. Uh, a spam law, you know, those seven years after the U.S. had passed theirs, and um, they still have not issued the regulations to implement it, and that is expected to occur this year. So you actually will start seeing um, potential enforcement in Canada at some point this year on the email front, and um, which will be a significant development. So those are um, some of the things that are coming. Now, um, in addition to being aware of what's coming, you should be aware of what you got and, and prepare yourself. And so you should take a, this is a good time to take out all your contracts, your, your form agreements, and your policies and take a look. You know, um, things have changed from a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, or more when you may have had these things drafted. Also, in terms of your standard contracts, you know, those are, evolving documents. They are based in, on legal principles, but also based on your experiences. They're trying to prevent um, certain things that happened and, and so that you know, those mis- issues don't arise again. And so you need to bring out your contracts to have that discussion with your staff about, okay, what, you know, what issues came up that we weren't necessarily fully protected on or that we want to make clear so that this does not become an issue in 2013. And so here's your way to kind of close the door on whatever problem issues may have arose um, in, it may have arisen in 2012. And that's, you know, that's an important issue and that's an important process to go through. Secondly, once you update your contracts, you want to do it in a way they stand out. And so that um, you want to make sure that your employees are using the right contracts. Um, so I often tell people when you do update your contracts, make them look visually different so that you can um, uh, tell whether or not employees are using the proper contracts. So um, I want to thank you for joining us on this day. And uh, uh, we will be broadcasting live from Las Vegas most likely next week. Um, 
And I will be, I have just concluded our, my um, New Media Expo stint and looking forward to it. Look forward to talking to everyone there. Um, this is a fun and emerging field. And so um, in addition, we may have some announcements from the Internet Law Center uh, that we'll share on the next show. But um, this is going to be a fun year, and uh, I thank you for joining us on this first segment. Um, and we're going to have a great ride this year with lots of fun guests, just like last year. I want to thank all our guests from last year. Um, I wish them all a happy new year. It was a fun, fun year. We've had some very interesting people. Um, and, uh, <coughs> excuse me. And everyone who was on the show, definitely I would include in my list of heroes, not zeros from last year. And, um, <clears throat> so, but any event, um, this is Benny Kelly um, broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. Um, hope to talk to you next week. We'll be call- we'll calling in from Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, we'll give you the update on New Media Expo. And until then, um, have a great week. Um, quarters adjourned, and we will see you next week live from Las Vegas. Thank you. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.